a cheerleader, and it's just a couple of days after prom. If members of the community were to find out that she gave birth, that was something that simply was not going to be accepted. Did she kill her own newborn baby, or was the child stillborn before she buried the body in her parents' backyard? And welcome to the Lana B Podcast. I'm your host, Lana B. Today, talking about the cheerleader murder trial part three. Brooke Scott Richardson accused of murdering her newborn baby and burying her parents' backyard. And she said it was a stillborn. When she had it, it was already dead. Today she was found not guilty on three charges and found guilty on one. And some people say justice was served. Some people say justice was not served. It is what it is. She was found not guilty on three, found guilty on one. Some people say she just got away with murder. The state couldn't prove their case. So the jury felt like she was not guilty because they couldn't prove their case that she murdered her baby. If you feel like justice was served, justice was not served, feel free to leave a comment. You know, we can talk about it some more. And also, the Line B podcast. Available on iHeartRadio. You got iHeart. I'm on iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to your podcast at. A new episode drop every Monday. If you're going to work. Or you're dropping the kids off to school. Turn on a line of B podcast. Would the defendant please rise? With regard to count one, we, the jury in the above captioned case, find the defendant, Brooke Schuyler Richardson, not guilty of the offense of aggravated murder. And there appear to be 12 jury uh, signatures affixed. Verdict form two, involuntary manslaughter. We, the jury in the above captioned case, do by, hereby find the defendant, Brooke Schuyler Richardson, not guilty of the offense of involuntary manslaughter. Count three, child endangerment. We, the jury, find the defendant, Brooke Schuyler Richardson, not guilty of child endangerment. It does say we further find the defendant did not cause serious physical harm to the alleged victim, but the, uh, that finding is not necessary as a matter of law. Verdict form number four, we, the jury, in the above captioned case, find the defendant, Brooke Schuyler Richardson, guilty of the offense of abuse of a corpse. Ladies and gentlemen, are those the verdicts of the jury? Yes, sir. You may be seated. All right, again, you are now discharged from all your service. Does either side wish to have the jury polled? No, you're not. No, you're not. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you will be, now be returned to the jury room. Thank you uh, for your service. Mr. Mullins is going to give you back your phones and such, and I will see you uh, in a couple of minutes. <laughs>
have to rely on what somebody posts about it or what somebody tweets about it. They can see the actual evidence that was presented. One of the reasons that I did this is so that the community, whether they agreed with the verdict or not, would have confidence in the way that uh, decision was reached. So if somebody comes up to you uh, and talks about how uh, we have a baby killer that got off in Warren County, or we have an innocent person who was convicted and didn't do anything wrong. We can direct them to the actual evidence so that maybe you can get a better idea of whether or not uh, they have an accurate opinion of whether justice was served in this case. So with regard to the matter of the sentencing, Mr. Knipp and Ms. Kraft, is there anything on behalf of the victim in the case? Yes, Your Honor. The paternal grandmother, Tracy Johnson, would like to make a statement, and then the state also has a brief statement, Your Honor. Okay. This is a bit of an unusual case because we actually have two individuals who have been designated uh, as victim representatives because Ohio is now a Marcy's Law State. Uh, the victims have constitutional rights in the case. We have one person that was designated on behalf of the state, one person that was designated on behalf of the defense. Um, so, Ms. Johnson, uh, the floor is yours. If you want to come to the podium, you can, or if you want to stand there by the attorneys at council table, just as long as you're somewhere where the microphones can pick you up. Good morning, Ms. Johnson. Good morning. What do you want to tell me Two years, four months, one week. In case you were wondering, that's how old my granddaughter would be if she were here today. And as hard as I've tried to find the right word to describe, broken, shattered, destroyed, none of them seem to fit the amount of pain I have felt ever since we found out that not only did I lose my first grandchild, but my baby that I would lay down my life for without a thought, lost his first child, and Skyler had no intention of ever letting us know. I found out from watching her interviews with detectives and her parents that not only did she know from the very beginning that Trey was the father, but also that she tried to secure her remains and planned on burying her without any of us ever knowing. As I've, and I've been told that the family is now trying to do it again as if we don't exist. But for a baby that she called it many times were just as much her family as Skyler's. She seemed perfectly okay with asking Tori, Trey's cousin, just a three month age difference and more like a sister to be a character witness for her without giving her a few bits of crucial information, such as the baby being Tori's cousin and yet she had no issue destroying and dividing an entire extended family. We at that point didn't think we could trust anyone if we couldn't trust the family that was the absolute closest person to Trey. It was almost a year before I sat down with Tori and found out that she had been lied to. I don't know if you know how we originally heard that Trey was the father. He had a DNA test on August 6, 2017. Then on January 29th, 2018, a Facebook page named him as the father because of a subpoena issue. My phone started blowing up while I was at work around 10 p.m. 
And then I headed to the prosecutor's office the next morning on January 30th, 2018. Got a phone call from Trey while I was on my way here. There was a news van outside of our house. He couldn't come in when he got home from class. So I turned around to go home and protect my baby because I will always protect my baby first. Then he called back, told me they had left a card and a letter in the door. Once I knew he was safe, I had him send me a picture and I went back to the prosecutor's office and I waited until they finally told me it was gonna be a while and I should just go and someone would call me. I had just gotten home when my phone rang and that was the first time I ever spoke to Mr. Knippen. And he said, Trey is the father. I'm sorry, we thought someone told you. 181 days, five months and 28 days. That's how long after the DNA test we sat wondering. But Skylar knew and didn't tell Trey. She's known from the very beginning it was his. She knew it was his baby. She said it in the first interview and just went on like nothing had happened. In the time between taking the DNA test and where we are today, I've not only watched my son become a totally different person, and I will leave his medical diagnosis private because she's done enough to him, but I can personally tell you I've continuously been seen for depression, panic attacks, anxiety, and sleep issues. And my friends and family will tell you I've become withdrawn cut off and a shell of the outgoing person I've always been. It's hard to be around people when you're trying not to lose it in front of anyone and can't talk to people because you don't know who you can trust to keep your son's name away from the media and off social media. I've had multiple babies born into the family and with friends in the last two years. I've avoided gender reveal parties, going to see them at the hospital, first birthday parties. I found multiple excuses not to go over and see them when they were babies. When I was around them, I found myself making excuses, even more excuses not to hold them. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Those that knew what was going on understood. Those that didn't really thought it was odd and knew something was wrong. I love kids, I always have. I'm that mom. My friends, kids all call and talk to me. I've helped raise many of them and consider all of them my own. I would have taken her in with Trey and raised her with no questions asked. You could have gone on to UC and never looked back if that's what she wanted. Her mom and Brandon never had to know. But now instead, every May 7th, I don't get to have a birthday party for my first grandchild. Instead, I get to send her balloons to heaven with notes telling her how much her daddy loves her, how much I love her, how much we all love her, and how much we all wanted her. For Christmas this year, I stayed home. I sent everyone else to do the normal Christmas traditions with our extended family, and then sent them to Southern Kentucky to visit all of my family, to do the same things that we always do. But this year, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't stop thinking that this would be the first Christmas that she would love. She would have been into everything. Opening gifts all by herself, getting way too many toys that any child could ever play with and probably playing with a box. But this would have been that Christmas. Not her first Christmas, but the first Christmas she would have been big enough to enjoy. And then it crushed me. As we live with our grief and loss, 
She can now live knowing that her selfish decision was not her only choice. She had a way out. Mr. Knippen, on behalf of the state. The court is obviously very aware of the facts in this case, and it is clear from the defendant's actions that she never intended for anyone to even know that her daughter existed or that the skeletal remains would ever be discovered. But for her being confronted by her doctors at Hilltop, that child would still be buried in the backyard of their home without anyone knowing. And as a result of her conduct, the state would ask that you impose the six months of local jail time as part of the community control sanctions uh, that the court is required to impose as a matter of law. Thank you. <coughs> Officer Bittinger, anything from probation? Yes, Your Honor. Uh, we would like uh, for Mr. Richardson to address the court. Do you want to the podium? Yeah, Skyler. Yeah, let's go. You, you can remain at council table. You can come to the podium. It doesn't matter to me. But I want Mr. Richardson to be comfortable when he speaks. Go ahead, Mr. Richardson. Your Honor, this has been a difficult ordeal for the entire family including the defendant's side or the prosecution side. My daughter is suffering from an eating disorder and we're concerned for her health. Anything you can do to help us get her home soon so we can take care of her, we greatly appreciate it. That's all I have. Thank you. Judge. Mr. Rickers. Uh, thank you. Judge, as the court's well aware, uh, Skyler's been uh, under pretrial supervision for the last over two years. She was on house arrest uh, for a year where she could not leave the confines of her home. Uh, subsequently, I believe the court uh, gave her a little more freedom with the curfew. It's my understanding she's been totally compliant with pretrial services. There's nothing to indicate whatsoever uh, that she was breaking any of the rules or, or doing anything other than what the court expected of her. Uh, I think the court is well aware, uh, at least I hope the court is well aware, that Skylar does have a severe eating disorder. She is down, I just learned, she's down to 89 pounds. 89 pounds. She's losing her hair. Uh, during the course of our representing Skylar, uh, I had recommended to her and her mother that she needs to see her pediatrician uh, just to make sure that her potassium levels, etc., were okay because, quite frankly, we were all afraid for her well-being. It turned out that Skylar and her mother went to the pediatrician who immediately sent her to the emergency room where she did receive treatment because of uh, her low potassium levels, etc., which I believe results from this lack of eating nutrients. Um, I, I would hope that the fact 
that she has lived this nightmare and lived under this cloud and lived under the, with the knowledge, the knowledge that she could go to prison for the rest of her life and what that, what kind of bearing that had on her, the court would take into consideration. Thank you. Ms. Richardson, you get the last word in all of this. Is there anything that you want to tell me before I impose a sentence? Um, thank you, Your Honor. I would do anything and above that you ask, and I understand. And I just wanted to say how sorry I was. I can sometimes be selfish, but I would like to think that I've become better in the knowledge that I've upset everyone and hurt so many people with what I've done and I'm forever sorry and I, I'm so sorry I I'm really really sorry and I understand and thank you Ms. Richardson we've been living with this case now for over two years actually part of it is still in the Supreme Court even as we speak uh, right now and I've always sort of thought of this case uh, Ms. Richardson as a story of two little girls, uh, Skylar Richardson and Annabelle Richardson. And, you know, I have a daughter about your age, Ms. Richardson, and I have a granddaughter about the age that Anna, Annabelle would be right now. Uh, the jury found that the state did not uh, prove that you were guilty of killing your baby, either intentionally by way of aggravated murder or recklessly by the involuntary manslaughter. Um, but in all of this mess that we have with this uh, case, I think what often gets overlooked, uh, Ms. Richardson, is just how precious life is. Your life, Annabelle's life, life is precious and it should be protected and it should be guarded in all respects. And I have reviewed all of the expert reports in this case. I listened to the experts' testimony. I firmly believe, Ms. Richardson, in fact, I know in my heart that if you would have made different decisions in this case, Annabelle would be here today. And I know that might be difficult for you to hear. Uh, some people are inclined to think to themselves, you know, this is America. We kill unborn babies uh, every day. Uh, but I don't look at it that way, uh, Ms. Richardson, and the law does not allow me to consider the acts that you took prior to uh, giving birth, but I think that your choices before birth, during birth, and after uh, show a grotesque disregard uh, for life. And I think when I look at this case, that, to me, is what offends uh, the community sensibilities. Uh, but because of policy decisions that are beyond my purview, the jury was not permitted to consider those things, and neither am I. So I don't uh, hold those things uh, against you in the sentencing. I find that you are amenable to community control. It's a mandatory community control case. I'm going to place you on three years of basic supervision. 
I'm going to impose upon you the standard rules of community control and I'm going to delegate to your officer the ability to make special or additional conditions as they see fit. I'm going to order as a term of your community control that you spend seven days in the county jail. I'm going to credit you the seven days that you have already done, which means that you are going to be going home today. Your stated prison term is going to be 12 months in prison. I'm not sending you to prison today, but if you violate the terms of community control, I can impose up to the maximum penalty in this case. This includes an optional period of post-release control. If I send you to prison, the adult parole authority then has the option, but not the requirement to supervise you for up to three years after your release. If they impose that supervision and you violate the terms, you can be returned to prison for up to one half of my original sentence. Or if you violate by committing a new felony, then you can be returned to prison for up to one year or the amount of time you have left on post-release control. It's automatically whichever of those is the longer period. It's automatically consecutive to the sentence that you would receive for the new felony. None of this prison business matters to you at all as long as you don't violate the terms of community control. Officer Biddinger has made some excellent recommendations in this case about things that you should do. I'm not going to follow any of those recommendations because I think that it is sufficient for me to supervise uh, you and uh, as long as you don't violate the terms of community control, our standard rules, uh, hopefully we won't have any uh, more issues. I'm not going to impose a fine in the case. I am going to impose the costs upon you. Is there anything else? Uh, you can be seated if you want. Thank you. On behalf of the state. No, Your Honor. Your Honor, uh, will the ankle monitor be removed? Yes. I mean, she you. shouldn't have it on now, right? I, I mean, she came over from the jail. I didn't know that. Thank you, Judge. All right. We have one additional matter that I think needs uh, some attention is that the remains of Annabelle are in the custody of the Warren County Sheriff pursuant to the search warrants that were executed in this uh, case. Uh, Mr. Knipp and Ms. Kraft, does the state have a position on this? Your Honor, it's my understanding uh, that both families are interested in the skeletal remains of the baby in this case, and I don't know how legally uh, that is to be determined in, uh, as to who should get the remains. I mean, they were seized as evidence in this case pursuant to the search warrants issued in this case, right? Yes, Your Honor. I mean, there's nobody that knows more about it or has a better position to make that decision than me, right? I, I don't know the legality of that, Your Honor. I, I don't. Okay. All right. Does the defense have a position in this? Your Honor, we have no objection to you making the decision on this. Uh, Mr. Richardson and the Richardson family uh, had spoken with the Warren County Sheriff's Office between July 14th and July 20th. They had made plans now for more than two years to have a proper burial, proper memorial uh, service. We've asked them, even without having Annabelle back, we've asked them to hold off on doing balloon releases and a lot of things that they've wanted to do because of the pending case. Um, but the family has a burial plot, as you, I think, believe you saw, even though it wasn't admitted into ev evidence. And the Richardson family would like to bring closure um, for Annabelle and give her an eternal resting place. Uh, so we would request that you give the Richardson family uh, Annabelle. Mr. Richardson? Yes, sir. Do I have your word that those remains are going to be buried properly and that there is going to be access by the Johnson family so that they can pay their respects? Absolutely, sir. All right, I am going to order that the uh, remains of Annabelle be released uh, to the Richardson family. 
uh, within seven days uh, of the time of the sentencing entry, which will likely be today. Ms. Johnson, if the remains are not buried in a way that is uh, appropriate and that you do not have access to pay your respects, please get in touch with my probation department or through the prosecutor's office and let me know that I'm gonna hold Mr. Richardson to the promise that he made here today. And if he does not keep that promise, he will answer to me in that regard. Mr. Richardson, once the arrangements have been made, please forward a copy uh, of, or an email is fine, Mr. Rickers, as to uh, what has happened, forward it to the victim's advocate, the prosecutor's office, and probation. Is there anything else we need to do today? No, Your Honor. No, Your Honor. All right, finally, Ms. Richardson, you have the right to appeal this case to the 12th District Court of Appeals in Middletown. If you don't have the funds to hire a lawyer to obtain a transcript or to pay the costs, those will all be provided to you without charge. Good luck to you. We are in recess. Thank you, Your Honor.